Hello and welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Lauren Council, your Editor-in-Chief. We have another exciting podcast for you today. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for listening today to this podcast as part of our practice management series. My name is Vinod Nambudiri, and I'm pleased today to be joined by Dr. Alex Miller, um, who will be with us tackling a very important topic, which is the modifier 59 and its usage. Maybe to start, I'd like to just have Dr. Miller introduce himself to all of you, and then we'll delve right into some of the content for today. Well, thank you very much, Vinod. I'm Alex Miller. So you know where I come from or what my qualifications are for discussing this. I'm the CPT advisor from the American Academy of Dermatology to the AMA CPT editorial panel, which is the panel that is charged with basically generating all the verbiage that's in the CPT manual, the coding manual. And I think that's enough. But it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. Wonderful. We look forward to your expertise and insights. So diving right in, Modifier 59 is quite important in terms of the landscape for dermatologists as they think about their billing and coding, particularly given the procedural nature of our field. Would you maybe like to provide our listenership with a basic overview of what a dermatologist is attempting to indicate when they are using Modifier 59? Certainly. The Modifier is indicated principally, particularly in dermatology, to indicate that a distinct or different procedure is being done than another procedure that's being done. And and it's a way of distinguishing various unrelated or seemingly related but separate procedures that are being done during the same encounter time. It can also be used to distinguish procedures that are done on the same day but a different encounter time. That is, let's say, hours before, and then the patient returns and and something else is done. That's pretty unlikely in dermatology, but it's very common for us to do multiple procedures, destructions, for example, uh, on the same day, and we have to have a mechanism of demonstrating to the payer that uh, these are separate and separately should be separately reimbursable processes. So consequent to that, modifier 59 is is a set of modifiers available in the CPT codebook. It is used uniformly by insurers to communicate to them that it's a distinct procedural service. And the CPT specifically defines that as it may be necessary, I'm quoting now, it may be necessary to indicate that a procedural service was distinct or independent from other non-ENM services performed on the same day. Modifier 59 is used to identify procedure services other than ENM services that are not normally reported together, but are appropriate under the circumstances. Parenthetically, Medicare in its investigation of what common billing errors occur has listed improper modifier use as one of the common billing errors that occur. So consequently, it is uh, incumbent on us as the providers of care to at least understand how it should be used. Because even when we have an outside billing service, let's say, billing for us, we as the captains of the ship are ultimately responsible for what goes out 
to the insurer. One of the things that I know people have asked questions about previously that I think would be good to clarify early on in our talk is how is modifier 59 distinguished from some of the other very commonly used modifiers, particularly 25 and 51? Well, I guess I'll proceed in backwards. 51 first. Sure. Because there is some confusion uh, with modifier 51. And I think that harkens back to years ago who people like me with white hair recognized that modifier 51 was rather, com was rather commonly used. And I punctuate the word was because there's really no particular need to use modifier 51. Nowadays, it does define multiple procedures. And again, the CPT definition, just to be formal, I'll, I'll quote, when mo multiple procedures other than EM services, physical medicine and rehabilitation service or provision of supplies are performed in the same session by the same individual, the primary procedure or service may be reported as listed. The additional procedure or service may be identified by applying modifier 51. The fact, however, is that modifier 59 is the more specific modifier that tells the payer that we are doing a separately identifiable procedure. And consequent to that, it is better to use modifier 59. Moreover, insurers have used modifier 51 in their internal adjudication process. As an example, Medicare may put a 51 modifier in their explanation of benefits to indicate which of the multiple procedures was reduced pursuant to the multiple procedure reduction. That is, which was reduced by 50% in payment. If when you were to use modifier 51 and apply it to the wrong code, the code that should not be reduced in payment, the insurer may happily reduce the improper code, the higher valued code by 50%, causing payment and accounting and uh, appeals nightmares. Consequently, it is absolutely best to simply avoid modifier 51 and use 59. Now, segueing on to modifier 25, that, to quote again from CPT, to be formal, is significant, separately identifiable evaluation and management service by the same physician or other qualified healthcare professional on the same day of the procedure or other service. It is then evident that modifier 25 is dedicated to indicate that an evaluation and management, ENM, service was done that is completely distinguishably different from any of the procedures that were done. Specifically, why is that important? Well, because all procedures have some measure of evaluation and management built into them, into the code. As an example, if a MITRE procedure is done, the decision to perform that minor procedure on that day is wrapped into the procedural code 
valuation and definition. Consequently, if a person were to look at a lesion and decide, huh, it needs a biopsy. Well, that's nice and good. But that process that led to the decision to perform that biopsy is inherent to the biopsy code. And one would not distinguish it from the biopsy with a separate ENL. And that's where modifier 25 would be inappropriate. There are exceptions, however, because the same CPT says, and Medicare, more importantly, says that it is not required to have a different diagnosis if one is doing a procedure for that diagnosis. However, then the medical record becomes crucial in that the medical record has to justify, in the case of modifier 25, that a significant separately identifiable ENM service was done beyond that which is included in deciding to do a biopsy. Or, similarly for a DOT-59 modifier, one must document that the work done to do a separately identifiable procedural service from the first is really separate and justified by what is in the medical record. Wonderful. Thank you for that very helpful clarification. And I think really useful insight regarding these different modifiers that are distinguished from 59. In terms of thinking about a typical dermatology practice, what are some clinical scenarios where modifier 59 is appropriate or is commonly encountered? Sure. One thing to say is that when deciding whether a modifier 59 is required, one may want to consult the National Correct Coding Initiative procedure-to-procedure edits. Sounds daunting. It's NCCIPTP, capital P, capital T as in tongue, capital P as in peanuts, edits. And that's easily uh, searchable. Just NCCIPTP edits will get you to the place. And one can download a whole list of procedures that are codes that are paired in columns one and columns two. And if one sees a procedure code that is done, and then next to that procedure code is another one that one's billing for, then that tells that person that very likely one or the other will need a 5.9 modifier, most likely. And as an example, one may do, and this is the commonest example in dermatology, my, one may perform malignant, pre-malignant destructions. And that would be, for us, most typically, freezing of actinic keratoses, usually performed service numerically in dermatology. Well, simultaneously, one may decide to do a biopsy or a malignant destruction, say, of a basal cell. Those are two procedural codes that are done on the same date at the same encounter time. Consequently, one will need to be distinguished from the other. And if one is dealing with Medicare, then one would determine that, yes, a modifier 59 would be needed. 
And either code, either the 17,000 or 17003, if one is freezing more than one AK, or 17004, if it's 15 or more, may get the 5.9 modifier or the destruction. Let's say it's a destruction of a basal cell carcinoma on a chest, and, and that's 17262 for, would be for one that's 1.1 to 2 centimeters diameter. Then one would put a 5.9 modifier on either of those codes because Medicare last year, as of July 1st of 2019, proclaimed that when codes are paired, that is when one of two sets of codes needs a 5.9 modifier, either one of those codes could receive the 5.9 modifier. That's nice and neat. However, do we know that all private insurers follow that dictum? No, you never know what's going to happen. And this is where the challenges come in. Consequently, it's good to know what insurers do. And if one finds that an insurer is still following the old dictum, whereby the code that received the 5.9 modifier is the one that's listed in column two of NCCI procedure to procedure edits, then that's the one that should get it. It gets complicated that way, and it involves the realization that one needs to keep track of insurance reimbursements and be made aware of improper adjudications and how billing paradigms may be altered pursuant to a given insurance company's behavior. In other words, modifier 5.9 or not, in all cases, getting feedback from the biller and is crucial to a successful running of a practice. Fantastic. That's very helpful insight. I think we encounter such clinical scenarios day in and day out in pretty much every clinic setting that I've been in. I can think of examples, just as you've mentioned, where multiple procedures are done in a single visit. One of the things I'd also love to hear your expertise and insight on are clinical scenarios where modifier 59 may seem correct, or one might think it would be appropriate to engage a 59 modifier to your billing codes, but actually those procedures are not considered appropriate for 59 modifier use that we might run into. Yes, there are certain scenarios whereby it would seem that modifier 59 is good, but it's not so good because you don't get paid and the claim is rejected. Those are typically when identical procedures are done on separately identifiable areas. And parenthetically, before I segue onto that, I'll mention that it is valuable to know when modifier 59 is not appropriate beyond what I'll say now. And one of the scenarios is when we have a large contiguous lesion, let's say a lentigo maligna, a big one, a suspected lentigo maligna. And we biopsy several independent sites within that one contiguous lesion. That is one biopsy. And that is defined as one biopsy. And Medicare makes specific reference to that in a publication called the Medicare Learning Network or MLN Matters, which anybody can download from uh, the internet. 
Consequently, if there is a contiguous lesion and you feel that it needs multiple biopsies, it's all one biopsy and the second, third, whatever additional biopsies are not separately payable. Now, if we go beyond that, the example of what happens when you do two distinct procedures. To you, they're distinct. Let's say you do a destruction of a malignant lesion on the right cheek, and it's 0.7 centimeters diameter, and you curette it out, and it's a, it's a little superficial spot, and you feel that curetting is good. And then you do another one on the forehead, and it's the same exact size. So then you're billing the same exact malignant destruction code twice. If you put a dot .59 modifier, the problem there is, well, it's the same anatomical billing area and it's the same size. So you're billing the same procedure twice and the adjudicator is very likely to reject one of the claims, or Medicare specifically, as a duplicate claim. And you'll get a duplicate claim denial. Well, Medicare, a number of years ago, released a document that stated that in those circumstances, we should use modifier dot 76. Conceptually, it makes absolutely no sense, but functionally it is imperative and it works. Modifier 76 is defined in the CPT as follows. Repeat procedure or service by same physician or other qualified healthcare professional. Well, clearly any sane person will look at that and say, well, we're not repeating anything. I'm doing another procedure. It's distinct and different. But this is how CMS slash Medicare wants to see a billing of an identical code that, that is dedicated to a separately identifiable procedure distinguished. Not 59, but 76. Now, sometimes I found that it works better if one puts a 59 and a 76 modifier on it. Now, having said that, that's Medicare. What happens with private insurers? Well, don't know. You've touched on some of these scenarios already, but I wanted to ask you, Alex, if there are specific reimbursement challenges that you've seen dermatologists experience relating to use of the 59 modifier, whether it was inappropriate use, as you noted, and perhaps the 76 modifier was a more appropriate choice or other pitfalls that individuals have run into when using the 59 modifier. Or not using it. Great point. Sure. I'll review some of that. I already mentioned, as you said, the 59 modifier being used rather than dot seven six modifier for Medicare particularly, or never ever using dot 51 if we can avoid it, but rather using dot 59. Now, the other thing is people have inquired of me at times and or have used the XEXSXPXU modifiers. To me, they're called ESPU is how I look at them that Medicare came out with in 2015. 
with a big excitement. And then it sort of sputtered after that. And Medicare really has uh, minimally brought them up at all after that. Consequently, what I've recommended, and in speaking to our uh, AAD coders as well, we recommend that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Use modifier 59. Conceptually, it's simple. It uh, avoids the pitfall of picking a wrong XE, XS, XP, or XU modifier and having a claim denied on the basis of improper use of one of these four variants of X whatever. Consequently, simply use dot 59. When it quits working, that's when you get worried. And that's when, again, feedback from the billing office to the billing individual is crucial. Uh, Now, there are some other special circumstances uh, that I thought of as I was considering speaking today. And there are some special circumstances that Medicare, as well as other insurers, will appropriately adjudicate if they are presented properly. One that comes up is, well, what happens if you do a frozen section diagnostic procedure on the same day as a procedure? And the most common time that comes up is with most surgery, whereby we, for whatever reason, in my case, sometimes it's just saving a patient an extra visit. I will tell them to show up for Mohs. I will do a frozen section biopsy before doing Mohs. And if it seems appropriate to continue with Mohs, we'll do that. If not, we'll do whatever is appropriate. Then that biopsy is separately reimbursable if Mohs is done, but should be billed with a 1110 whatever type of biopsy, either shave, uh, punch, or incisional with a dot 59 modifier attached. And Warnet at that time would also submit a charge for the frozen section interpretation, which is 88331 CPT code, with a dot 59 modifier attached to that. And that will work. And then if one proceeds with MOS, then the MOS codes, as well as any reconstruction codes, would be submitted as usual. And since I touched upon that, another point comes up where Dodge 59 modifier could be used not appropriately. And that is when we do procedures that by convention never require that a 59 modifier be attached to an additional procedure code. And the typical examples for us in dermatology are excision with followed by an intermediate or complex repair. The excision, whether benign or malignant, is reported without a modifier, and the repair is also reported without a modifier. The other condition where it occurs is with mouse surgery. The most surgery, 17311, 17313, etc., is reported, and then the reconstruction, be it an intermediate or complex repair or adjacent tissue rearrangement flap or graft is reported individually as well. And neither of those procedural codes will uh, 
require a modifier. And as a matter of fact, as far as Medicare is concerned, Medicare does not like seeing repeated misuse, as it's called, of modifier 59 because it costs the system some extra money to process. And if one repeatedly and pathologically constantly submits improper modifier 59, that person may actually receive an educational session from their Medicare administrative contractor. Another point is shave, curetting, and electrodesiccation. That is the destruction, 17 eight series of codes, malignant destruction codes, where we shave, they would curette, and then we uh, either electrodesiccate or apply a hemostatic agent, whatever. So those are malignant destruction codes. The biopsy portion is inherent to that code. Consequently, one should uh, not be splitting off or unbundling that code by billing a biopsy procedure in addition to the destruction. And most of the time that doesn't happen, but occasionally people will ask me about that. I already mentioned the large contiguous lesion and multiple biopsy that they're billed as one, and the two procedure that's on, on the same billing area. Now that one uh, deserves a little more discussion. Uh, and that would be again, uh, as an example, a destruction of a malignant lesion, let's say a basal cell done on the chest, and then another one on the back. If one looks at the uh, diagnostic ICD code, it's the same exact ICD-10 diagnostic code for that. And the procedure may be different or in size, or it may be identical in size. But the important thing is, it's the same area diagnostically. There is no chest diagnostic code and back diagnostic code. Same darn thing. So what happens? If we have the same code, you want to distinguish somehow. And the, the first thing to do is to line item bill these things. And that goes the same with dot .59 modifier where you have similar codes or dot .76, line item bill these things, meaning that many or at least some of the billing software, when faced with the exact same CPT code billed more than once, will multiply it and then submit it to the insurer, meaning, for example, 17262 times 3 if you did three of that same size uh, of lesion. Well, that's nifty and nice, but to the insurer, that appears like you just triple billed for the same thing. And two of those may be denied payment. However, if one can separate them out and put each one of those bills on a separate line of the billing form, that is, if one conceptualizes it as a paper form and has it printed out on three separate lines, same code, you could then tell, indicate more clearly 
that the billing is for three separate procedures. And one would uh, also put in the notes section of the billing, and that's in the electronic record as well, specifying the separate locations of each one of those. And, and I think that that's helped us in this office as well to avoid resubmitting. Okay, but again, as I mentioned before, if you're in a void, nobody ever tells you when something doesn't get built. You don't ever recognize it. So have a system in to recognize these things. Wonderful. I think that's a very comprehensive review of some of the ways in which we can steer clear when using or not using the 59 modifier appropriately. In your expertise, I'd, I'd be curious for, say, early career dermatologists or folks that are maybe starting to pick up more of their procedural volume and not have used this as much in the past, any pearls or insights that you can offer for getting comfortable with using the 59 modifier? Certainly. I think uh, beyond just familiarizing oneself with the CPT, I think the other uh, thing to do is to use some uh, references. And read them. There are some fairly simple, straightforward, and useful references. One is the AAD Derm Coding Consult, or AAD DCC, as it's called. It is a quarterly publication. It was uh, print. Now it's electronic and available and indexed on the AAD practice management portion of the website. Easily accessible. Uh, there are articles dealing with the coding. The other would be the uh, AAD Derm World Cracking the Code articles that are monthly and tackle a variety of coding issues over time. They are searchable and uh, readily indexed and searchable. Again, the, off the main page, you can go on the home page of the AAD and in the search bar, uh, search for that kind. Um, and I think those are the really the easiest uh, um, types of uh, sources to have. The other, if one wants to go beyond that into the details, then the uh, CMS, that Centers of Medicare and Medicaid Services, MLN Matters articles that are published as needed, tackle various coding issues. There is one on dot .59 modifier. That's quite illustrative. And, and that's sort of the deeper reading thing. One can also peruse all of these different Medicare billing manuals and the NCCI. They're quite extensive. So I would recommend those for people who really, for whatever reason, want to or need to deal with that. Lastly, I think for people starting out and for people in practice, we should know that there are other modifiers available. And Medicare stipulates that, and the CPT, that when there is another more appropriate and better descriptive modifier available, use that one. As an example, in the CPT, uh, one F1, for example, P1, RT, LT, and all sorts of these kinds of things. Well, RT stands for right and LT stands for left. Uh, Medicare says, Use those to distinguish right from left. So if you have, for example, a destruction, malignant destruction, or a shave removal of the same size 
on the right cheek and another one on the left cheek, you would code one with RT and the other one with LT, which is just nifty and nice, but avoid assuming that you'll get paid for this thing. Because as an example, the software that is used in my office doesn't even recognize those things. The billing software doesn't have them, doesn't have any of those finger and toes modifiers at all. Well, that's a problem, right? Private insurers may or may not recognize any of those site-specific or laterality modifiers. So that's another problem. And then there's not even complete assurance that the Medicare contractor will appropriately adjudicate those. So one should remain aware of these potential pitfalls. And if one is prone to using these modifiers, then by all means should check with the insurer to see whether they even accept them. Thank you for sharing that wonderful overview of both resources that are available for folks to use from the AAD, from Medicare, from a wealth of different sites. I think that'll really help people point themselves in the right direction as they want to learn more about this after this podcast. I'd like to wrap up maybe with one final question here on what are your thoughts on, in general, the overuse or underuse of Modifier 59 by dermatologists, or if someone out there is a big user of the modifier and wants to know if they're overdoing it per se, any insights into this kind of benchmarking question? Sure. Well, that is one of the concerns of Medicare. And as a matter of fact, Medicare at one point did a uh, focus study based in Georgia, the Medicare contractor there, about inappropriate DOT-59 modifier use. And again, because it just costs them a, a bit more to process claims where a modifier 59 is not appropriate. But it's in general, I would say that we're doing pretty well. Where people foul up is when they don't use modifier 59 and forget about it and then submit procedural codes, two or more, uh, and the rest, and one or more of those lack of 59 modifier, then that doesn't get adjudicated, it gets rejected. Well, what happens when a claim is not adjudicated appropriately? Well, in a optimally functioning setting, it would be appealed. And although it would be an easy appeal, it's still it costs the system money. It costs money to the office appealing, and it certainly costs money to the adjudicating outfit, meaning Medicare or a private insurer. Well, they're not keen on that. They're keen on saving money. So that's where it is important to recognize when modifier 59 should be used, but also to avoid overusing it when it's absolutely not necessary as well. Now, going back to my example where it can be necessary and yet two codes may not be paired in the NCCI edits. Now that I brought up NCCI and people will scurry on and look at that thing and they'll say, hey, look at that. I mean, these two codes aren't paired. I just did a procedure on the right cheek and I did exactly the same code procedure on the left cheek. And there is no pairing in the NCCI of two identical codes in column one and column two. What do I do now? Well, they're two different locations. And the CPT says if it's two different locations, that's a- appropriate for modifier 59. So one of the ways of dealing with that is put a modifier 59 on one of them. 
because it is appropriate. And then track how the insurance reimburses. And besides that, line item bill, if at all possible. Fantastic. I want to thank Dr. Alex Miller for his insights, his expertise, and really for taking the time to share both of those with us today. I really appreciate your being part of this podcast as part of the practice management series for our episode today. And I want to thank all of you for listening to us. I hope you got as much out of this as I did. And again, just a great appreciation to Dr. Miller for sharing his insights. Thank you very much. My pleasure. All right. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. It's been great sharing the time with you today and enjoy the rest of your day. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. This is Lauren Council, your Editor-in-Chief. For more podcasts, including bonus issues, check us out online at the website of the American Academy of Dermatology or through the Dialogues in Dermatology app. You can now also sync your subscription to your favorite podcast app. New podcasts are released each week in addition to our monthly JAD podcast. We hope you enjoyed these new options for listening to dialogues and the increased content for your listening pleasure. Thank you.